electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Why one big-time market watcher says a 10% correction is the most likely outcome for stocks. We have that interview, and we will debate that call with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arias Asset Management, and Richard Saperstein is Hightower Treasury Partner CIO, one of Barron's top 100 financial advisors. We begin with the markets. As Carl said, hardly been a straight line today. We do find ourselves negative here. Yes, we're keeping our eyes on the hill and what may lie ahead in terms of stimulus. Let's bring in our guest, though, today arguing that stocks might not be so close to new highs for very long. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, back with us again. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Chad. Good to be with you. Not a new call, uh, but you're sticking with it. 10% correction is the most likely outcome, you say. Why is that? Well, look, I mean, this is just a continuation from the call we made back in September where we did get a 10% correction. We rallied back, and we just, you know, it looks to us like, you know, there's going to be a retest of that, maybe a, a slight break. We'll see. But look, it all just comes back to our framework, Scott. You know, we're pretty disciplined around that. And, and we look at the valuation. It's, uh, it's pretty full. You know, volatility is picked up because of all the events that everybody knows are out there, whether it's the, the virus, the second wave, or, or the election. And so the equity risk premium, we think, is a bit understated from where it should be. And that's all we're saying is it's full here. These risks are not going away for the next 30 days. They're going to be with us. Volatility is going to be high. And so, look, the range that we put out in August, 3,100 to 3,550 holds. And we think that makes sense. It doesn't mean we're not bullish on certain opportunities and things. We're still very bullish on the V-shaped recovery, that we, you know, the call we made a while ago. We think it's a new bull market, all that good stuff. But, you know, risk, it's risk-reward. And the risk-reward towards the upper end of that range is just not that, it's not that good. Yeah. But if the facts change, couldn't the framework change? I mean, Larry Kudlow was on our air not, lot, not that long ago this morning saying it's an optimistic morning. Things are moving in a favorable direction in terms of stimulus. What happens if you do get an 11th hour deal? Uh, maybe you're not going to have a contested election like we thought back in September, maybe when you made that call. Who knows what's going to happen? Facts could change framework, though, right? Oh, of course. I mean, look, the framework incorporates those facts, right? So to your point, you know, if we get positive outcomes on all these things, then, yeah, then we can revisit whether or not we can break through that, that upper end of the band. And, uh, but we don't know the answer to those. And, and, and one, of those, one of those variables is the fiscal stimulus, as you mentioned. And, yeah, we can make progress on that. By the way, we think we're going to get fiscal stimulus either, if not before the election, we'll get it after the election is decided in early next year. But there's also the second wave of the virus, which looks like it's, you know, going the wrong way. Uh, we could see some mini lockdowns in certain parts of the economy as that progresses. And then, of course, you know, we still have to deal with just, you know, the, the seasonality of what's going on right now. You know, we've come a long way and, and we've got to digest that. So, you know, the framework incorporates all that, Scott. And, and look, we, we can't tell the future. We wish we could. Um, the framework incorporates the risk reward of those outcomes. But you, you're saying if we get stimulus before the election, you really think stocks are going to go down 10 percent? Probably not. 
uh, if we get a big enough package that people can believe in, um, that probably won't happen. But, I mean, do you know we're going to get that? It doesn't seem like it's likely. Even if they come to an agreement here in the next couple of days, they still got to get back to, you know, Congress. they got to take the vote. Uh, a lot of the uh, folks are on the road now, you know, campaigning for individual races. So it's just you're kind of running out of time a little bit. So our base case is that it doesn't get done before the election, but we could be wrong about that. But that's the probability right now. It's about one in three, maybe a 40 percent chance that something gets done prior to November 3rd. So how do you want to protect yourself then? Right, if we're if we're expecting a 10 percent decline is the most likely outcome, what are we to do? Well, there's not really much to do and protect. Look, we're still bullish on the outcome ultimately. So what we're all we're telling our clients is, look, this is not the time to be overly aggressive. We felt like in the last couple of weeks people were getting a little too excited about the outcome that it was becoming more visible. You know, we we we, we pressed up against the upper end of that band uh, again uh, last week. And that was a point where we just told people, hey, just walk it back a little bit. That was, you know, back on Columbus Day. And, and, and that's been right. You know, we, we have pulled in from there. And so that's the advice. It's not that we're telling people they'll go wholesale, uh, you know, knock down their risk uh, here in front of the election. What we're saying is this is the time to temper, temper your new purchases and be a bit more disciplined about your entry points. And, and we think we'll get that uh, pitch over the course of the next three to four weeks. Yeah. What do you think's priced in in terms of the election and what isn't? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a really hard question to answer specifically, but what we see in, you know, individual securities and sector performance is that there's definitely been a movement towards a blue wave outcome. And even when we talk to clients, they kind of are buying into that now, too. So let me explain specifically. There would be, you know, stocks that would benefit from, say, a new green deal, uh, stocks that benefit from, you know, environmentally friendly type uh, opportunities. Those stocks have done exceptionally well really since the summer when it became clear that, that Joe Biden was, was becoming more of the favorite, and uh, in the in the Senate race as well, Democrats were making headway. If you look at uh, financials, an area we like, quite frankly, um, it just really can't kind of get out of its own way. Great earnings, we think rates are going up, but you know the market's nervous about what the regulatory environment is going to be under a blue wave. So we think that's holding those stocks back. Same thing for energy, and then on the other side, you know, technology stocks. We saw obviously uh, the, you know Department of Justice suit here. Uh, this week against one of the big platform companies. And that stock didn't really trade off. Well, why is that? Because the market is saying, well, there could be a new Department of Justice in two months. Let's not worry about that right now. So clearly the market is leaning towards a sort of blue outcome, I would say. But, you know, not with 100 percent certainty. Yeah, but I think it's sure. leaning in that direction. For yeah, sure. can't be certain about anything. Uh, we, we learned our lesson there. Um, I've got the gang all with me, uh, as usual. Mike, I want to bring in uh, Rich Saperstein. He's one of our investment committee members today. Uh, so, Rich, you're holding more cash than usual. Does that mean you agree with Mike Wilson? Do you think we're going to have a correction in, in the coming days, weeks, or, or what have you? No, but I think Mike brings out some good points about all the unknowns right now, whether there's going to be a blue wave, vaccine, no vaccine, rise in COVID or not, a higher or lower taxes going forward. I think these are all the unknowns that we've got to look through and have a long-term view and uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are going to arise in a post-COVID investment world, such as a bricks-to-clicks themes. Tech is still going to be scarce. Tech is still going to have value, and investors should focus past these near-term uncertainties and look forward to the new investment world we're going to be in post-COVID. Yeah. Steve Weiss, do you have a question for Mike Wilson? I do. So, Mike, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is we could have a 10 percent correction, which I agree with. We've been in this trading range since since the summer and we're at the upper end, band of it. 
But there's really nothing to do because markets go up, markets go down. You can walk in any day and see a 10% correction. And if you go back over your holdings and you think of any period of time where you thought the world's coming to an end because we're down 10% in this name of the market, you made a mistake if you panic and sell. So what you're really doing is just you're making your investors aware, your clients aware that this could happen as the most likely scenario right now, but you're not recommending changing your positioning for the longer term. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd like to be Steve. I mean, you understand this as well as anyone who's been doing this a long time. I mean, people get nervous around these events, right? So part of, you know, our job as advisors to our clients is to say, look, we're expecting some volatility in here. It's going to get kind of scary potentially around these events. We want to make sure you understand that this is a bull market. We want you to stay, in, stay invested to your point. But, you know, so we want to try and call that out ahead of time, right? So kind of make them, you know, pre-warn them that this volatility is picking up so that they can keep their head on the swivel and, more importantly, take advantage of what we think could be some really good opportunities again, much like we got in September and, of course, like we got earlier this year. That's the real goal here is to keep people, you know, level-headed as we go into what are going to be some emotionally charged events, whether it's around the health scare of the second wave or, uh, obviously, the political environment around a very contentious election. They're interesting. And I, and I think that's a phenomenal call. Yeah, but I mean, it, Sorry, come, it comes right. down to, you know, a possible outcome versus the most likely outcome. That's the, the point where I think is worthy of having a good debate over whether a 10 percent correction, Joe, is really, to quote Mike, the most likely outcome near term for stocks. It is the most likely outcome if we have a contested or delayed election. In addition to that, and this, this statement will lead to a question for Mike, if next week we begin to see the big five, the, 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 the Facebook, the Alphabet, uh, Amazon, Microsoft, if we see them price poorly, and in thinking about that, understand that month to date the S&P is up about 3%. Well, that correlates with a move 17 basis points higher in the 10-year Treasury. So the question, Mike, becomes, which is the more likely scenario, that yields continue to rise and thus investors who have been hiding out in bonds leave the safety of bonds and go into equities, or is it that what was bond proxies, these mega cap growth and technology names that people were hiding out in, as yields go higher, people flee out of those equity names? Which is the more likely scenario? Yeah, look, let, let's get past this sort of near-term view and kind of say, well, what's the next sort of, you know, money-making opportunity? And, look, we do have a pretty out-of-consensus view around back-end rates. We, we do think rates are going to move up pretty significantly. We've used the analogy to 2016. We're kind of being held hostage here by a you know, exogenous you know, event of COVID plus the election, uh, whereas in 16 it was Brexit plus the election. And then once you get past those, people have more visibility on the outcome, which we think will be constructive in both, meaning we will get through them. That's when rates can really move. And that's part of our you know, 10% correction view as well, which is that the equity risk premium should, be, should have a buffer in it for that adjustment, which we think could be significant on the order of perhaps of 100 basis points at the 10-year level. And then once that adjustment happens, which, by the way, will hit those uh, defensively oriented securities, long duration securities, whether it be growth or defensive stocks, the hardest, then we can move forward. Okay. 
So the rates view is, is part of this sort of uncertainty as well. We think we're into that sort of vortex here. If we get a stimulus, by the way, if we get a stimulus before the election, I wouldn't be surprised if rates actually moved up significantly more than what people are thinking. And that could be another reason why the market maybe is to sell the news temporarily on, a, on that uh, fiscal stimulus, which seems counterintuitive. Now we're trying to call way too many things here, right? So let's look forward past this near-term period. We think the best, the fattest pitch that investors should be considering right now going forward is you should be careful about long-duration assets being a little bit underweight, some of that in the near term. But then the opportunity is going to be next year where the operating leverage is going to be the greatest in terms of earnings. And that would be reopening stocks, some of the cyclical areas, some of the growth stocks, too, once they've adjusted for higher rates for sure. And, and that's what we're really trying to zero in on here. Where's that next big fat pitch? We're waiting for it to come to us, and then we'll swing. So I'm confused about one thing. All right. Near term is, is the, the words that you use, near term. But now you're talking not so near term. I mean, what is your definition, Mike, of near term? How should investors be thinking about this call? Are we talk, I mean, and, and again, this was your call in September. All right. Here we are halfway through October. OK, two thirds of the way through October. So what is near term? Yeah, it's probably through the past election. So let's say through Thanksgiving towards the end of the year, another month or so, six weeks. I mean, you know, the whole period is a three month sort of near term. Three months is near term. Twelve months is sort of, you know, investable time frame. And that's how we think about it. Now, the so other thing, though, the, the other thing, though, is if you get this this potential for rising rates, I, I think Joe raises some really, really good points. If you get uh, somebody's alarm going off, um, if you get these rising rates, right, and you get a move into value, let's just say you get a move into value. But then next week, these mega cap technology stocks really deliver on their earnings. You really think that, that these things are going to lose their momentum? I'm just trying to figure out how the market's going to go down 10%. I'm not sure if someone has their volume up. I'm sorry to have to do this, but I don't, if someone has their volume up, can you turn it down? Because I'm hearing myself on your TVs or whatever. How's the market going to go down in that environment? Well, it may not, right? I mean, look, once again, we're not saying with 100% certainty. No, but you said most likely, right? People say take that most likely outcome. Look, Scott, we have to try and, you know, predict the future before it happens, okay? We're trying to give advice. It's the most likely outcome, not a guarantee, okay? And, and by the way, either way, whether it happens or not, the risk-reward at the upper end of that band, okay, is still not attractive to be adding new capital. And by the way, that's worked, right? So up around 3550 we've been rejected there twice so that makes sense right so you know that's all we're saying that at that point you know it's kind of a fade and then at the lower end of the range is where we want to be adding this is not march and april when we were raging bulls saying you know don't worry about what's going to happen we're it's so cheap you have to be adding risk okay very very different type of situation now we're full on valuation and that once again I'm going back to my framework we're being disciplined around a framework rather than being willy-nilly getting dragged around by daily price action and saying, oh, well, today we're up, so I'm going to buy, and today we're down, so I'm going to get worried. That's what the framework does. It keeps us, it keeps us even keel. Yeah. Kerry, do you have a question for Mike? Sure. So, um, Mike, uh, we, we both have been in markets around elections before, and I just want to frame this uh, in a couple of ways. If we go back to four years ago, people made bets about the outcome of the election. Very few people thought that Donald Trump would win. Uh, the market had some sort of predicted sense of how the market would fall if he did. And 
anyone who acted on those impulses had made a mistake. Um, it, it, it feels as if when you make decisions about the market very close to an election, perhaps you're moving because of some expected results. And I, you know, it, it feels as if that's quite risky of a move to make here. But if we look at other reasons, so there's one is, is this sort of a market related to the prediction of an outcome? Um, if we think about what it is about the market that might be expensive, so the big tech names, the digital platform names, you know, were expensive as they went into September. They got up in that nosebleed territory and then they came down. So you saw Apple, Facebook, PayPal, whatever name you pick, they all corrected. And up until the beginning of October, we had an extremely narrow market. 38, still 38% of all stocks have outperformed the S&P. And right now for the month of October, it's over 60%. So we've had a broader market and the, and the multiple of the S&P has been driven up by some of the biggest tech platform names that have very high multiples. The rest of the market does not sell for 25, 30, 35 times earnings. There's a lot of stocks in small and mid cap territory that are trading at below a market multiple. They're in their teens. And those are the names, if we can just see the chart that Vin produced, they are up 7.5%, 6.5% this month compared to 2.5% for the QQQs and the S&P. So isn't that some sign that the broadening of the market and the fact that you're seeing a move in the names that have so dramatically underperformed the market, uh, underperformed the, the uh, big cap names by 20% this year or, or more, that's a positive sense, I, I think, about the market. And so I'm wondering how you sort of square that with your, your point of view here. Well, that was a long windup, uh, Mike. Do, do you, what about that, the broadening of the rally, if, if you will, Although people are really still trying to throw some cold water on this notion that value is really back. But what do, you, what do you think to Carrie's question? No, it's the right question, Carrie. Well, it's not value, but that, size. That, that's what? been our call, by the way, so, uh, which is that we think you know, our call on the 10% on the correction is that the S&P market cap weighted S&P. And we've had a, a view for several months that we think it's time to own the equal weighted S&P is a relative opportunity. It's the same thing you were just saying. It's broadening out. That's our call, and that's healthy. Um, that's why we like small mid-caps over large caps. It's the same idea, right? So you could have a 10% correction, by the way, at the S&P level while there's a raging bull market going on under the surface in these areas that are still underappreciated. So we're saying the exact same thing. And, yeah, it's a bit of a nuance in there. But that's our job. Our job is to find those nuances because that's how you make money. Right? I hear that's you. how you generate alpha. You, uh, you've done well finding them. <laughs> I mean, you have. We'll talk to you soon. I like the conversation. Mike, thanks. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, that's Jack. Mike Wilson. Morgan. So let me talk about some of the things you guys are doing because uh, we got some interesting moves to go through today. Uh, Rich Saperstein, I, I, go, I go back to you. Tell me about these new buys you have in both Verizon and Walmart. But Verizon, by the way, has been down a handful of days in a row, as has AT&T, even a little bit more. Something like AT&T is down like nine straight days. Verizon's down something like six. Well, one of our investment themes is that home buddies need more content. Verizon will be the backbone of that through mobility, uh, 5G, and delivering all the content into everyone's home. So we want to link up with uh, various companies that will basically uh, serve the homebodies. Uh, in terms of Walmart, 
Uh, we see three great names to own in the uh, retailing space, and they're both online and box. Uh, so it would be Amazon, Walmart, and Costco. And, and basically, we wanted to uh, add to our position uh, in Walmart uh, to round out the exposure in that retail space. The stocks you've sold are ADP, CVS, Chevron, Gilead, and Kraft Heinz. Tell me about the, the standouts for you there, why you bailed on those. So uh, oil, we think, is just not going to happen. And uh, we're oversupplied. Uh, there'll be consolidation in the industry, and we wanted to uh, get out of uh, that industry group. Uh, we sold some banks, and part of that was to move more into a theme of uh, cash money to e-money, meaning that going forward in a post-COVID world, we want to be uh, linked to the merchant acquirers, the, merchant, uh, the payment processors, and the backbone of that e-payment system. So we added uh, Visa, Fidelity, uh, Financial, and we think that moving from the traditional bank model to an e-payment model is going to be adopted in a post-COVID environment. It's interesting, though. So, I mean, if, if rates go up, you don't think the bank trade's going to work at all? We're not worried about rates going higher. So uh, I wanted to ask Mike the question, uh, look, there's $17 trillion worth of negative debt around the world. And our recovery is, in our view, slower than anticipated. Uh, there will be a lot of bankruptcies and foreclosures going forward. The take up in employment gains is slower than anticipated. So we don't see inflation returning, nor do we see rates moving higher. So I think there's time on owning the banks, which, by the way, put up some good numbers this this last uh, week. Yeah, but when rates are where they are, that's, you can see why even with those good numbers that the, the bank stocks don't do anything. Joe, you sold Eli Lilly. Why did you do that? I, I did. I, I did, and I think for everyone on the panel today, you know what I was about to speak of when I say I was angry in doing it. I, I, I wanted this trade to work so badly. Uh, Scott, it's a name that I've held on to for quite some time, but I had an ask halftime question just two weeks ago about this, and I mentioned this was the area that risk management takes over. The story becomes complicated on the quality control issues at the New Jersey plant. The stock, which was 170 in July, has now broken below its 200-day moving average. I do not turn winning trades into losing trades. That's a recipe for uh, portfolio failure, and that's uh, the reason why I angrily sold this stock today. Well, I mean, you can't have a book that says buy high and sell higher if you do what you just said you didn't want to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, exactly. But sometimes you get a little emotional about it. I wanted this to work. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I hear you. Carrie, I don't, no moves for you? No, no new buys? Well, the, we had a spin. So we had bought Fortiv, which is an industrial instrumentation company, and it spun out Fortiv. So... Um, Vontier is a new name for us, but no, we haven't bought anything. The last things we had done were, you know, we trimmed a little Twilio, um, you know, a, a little while ago, and then we bought United Healthcare and, and Fortive. And um, those are more defensive names, but they've been working. But so, you just painted a you know, whole. We don't, we don't trade a lot. You painted a whole rosy scenario for Mike Wilson about this broadening out rally, right? Couldn't these things work? But you're not putting much money behind that. Well, we're. 
we're pretty fully invested. We stay fully invested all the time. Our portfolio is very growthy, and we've made um, very, very good gains this year with names like PayPal and um, Facebook, Apple, et cetera, some of the smaller names like S&P Global and uh, Sherwin-Williams. But um, you have to, at some point, sell some of those gains, and we look to other places where we could redeploy the, uh, the, the money that hadn't uh, moved very much in industrials and United Healthcare. You know, that's a that's a great name that had been beaten down because of concerns about um, a democratic sweep and probably too much. Mm-hmm. And so it was a name to um, to to sort of show up on our screens and and uh, we decided to buy it. But I, but I also think that um, the yeah. growth trade is going to continue to work. I, right. I, I don't think it's not going to work. Me, I Carrie, just think you have to be forgive careful. Forgive me for with interrupting price. you. I'm going to do it, though. Um, I just want to call your attention to the fact that stocks look like they're having a little bit of a spike here. The uh, House Speaker is on the tape saying she wants a stimulus deal before the election. Um, so there was some suggestion that maybe you could strike some kind of a deal over the you know, next 48 hours. All it seemed to be a bit of a rolling timeline uh, on that. Larry Kudlow, the president's top economic advisor, in an interview earlier on our network, said it was a positive morning, an optimistic morning, he said, and that things were moving in a favorable direction. Stocks seem to be moving in a favorable direction, at least uh, for this moment. Carrie, forgive me for uh, for interrupting you uh, on that. I just wanted to get that news out. Finish your thought, if you could. Uh, This plays right into the whole conversation about where stocks could go and how stimulus plays a role in either direction of that. Yeah, well, well, I was just saying that uh, we still believe in the growth trade and whether it's a low interest rate environment, um, e- even if rates come up somewhat, people are still paying for growth and the market isn't going to go higher unless the big growth names participate. But as they get more expensive, you have to make portfolio decisions and a broader market means that there will be more companies and industries that participate in that trade. You know, industrials wasn't working. Now it's working. Uh, The financials had good quarters. If we continue to see good results from them and the economy looks like it's going to start to come out of this, we get closer to a vaccine, the financials can participate. So uh, a broad market is very good generally. It's just good for the market. Um, and we were getting a little too narrow and too steep on some of these, um, you know, the, the platform names, Amazon, Netflix, Google, et cetera. A day like this, by the way, my last thought, when we, we hear that the Justice Department is coming after Alphabet and that stock is up today, that shows some optimism on the part of investors. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break, come back, take a look at this mystery chart. It's up over 35%. In six months, it's an auto stock. And it just got a big upgrade to buy. Is it too late, though, for you to jump in? We debate that straight ahead in our call of the day. The Halftime Report returns in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours, too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Wisconsin saying more than 75,000 people cast ballots on the first day of early voting. That's in addition to the more than a million people who have mailed in their ballots. Across the nation, an estimated 40 million people have already voted. That's almost 30 percent of all the votes cast in the 2016 election. In New York, state officials confirming more than 2,000 new COVID-19 cases today. That is the most since May and part of an increase in infections in many parts of the Northeast. In Afghanistan, at least 15 people have died in a stampede of people rushing to get visas to neighboring Pakistan. About 3,000 people had gathered outside the Pakistani consulate to get visas used to travel for work, education and medical treatment. And for the first time in 15 years, ATM fees have fallen. Bankrate says the decline was driven by temporary fee waivers during the pandemic. Go to CNBC.com to see which other kind of bank fees have unfortunately increased this year. You're up to date, Scott. Back to you. And the ones that will be coming back that went down because of the pandemic. <laughs> that is exactly right. I mean, if it's right. skewed because of that. It's too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sue. Mm -hmm. All right. Sue Herrera. Advanced Auto Parts getting a big upgrade today. That was our mystery chart. Rahel has the details for us. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So after AutoNation had its, quote, absolute best quarter ever, Raymond James getting bullish elsewhere in the auto space, upgrading Advanced Auto Parts to outperform target price $175 a share so the analyst saying that this is a much more fundamentally sound company than perhaps any time this century. And that's thanks to restructuring efforts. And also they expect a new three-year plan will energize the stock in the near term. Advanced Auto Parts also largely operates in markets with heavier lockdown measures. And analysts think that the company should benefit as these regions have largely reopened. They're calling for fourth quarter comps to increase 9%. That is much higher than the consensus of 3.6%. And they also know that the industry overall, Scott, is doing much better than expected. Our very own Jim Cramer even pointing that out this morning, that he thinks that the auto business is in bull market mode. Advanced Auto, however, still negative on the year, though it's been creeping higher the last six months, as we said before the break, up nearly 37 percent. The upgrade today also giving it a slight boost, up about 3.4 percent, Scott. Yeah. Rahel, thank you. Uh, Cramer liking, uh, likening it to housing, uh, what's going on in the auto business uh, Steve Weiss, you own Ford. No one owns advanced auto parts. Um, I guess you wish you did. Auto Nation, uh, all-time high today, knocked it out of the park uh, with its earnings. Weiss, you own Ford. I think that's the only auto-related. Yeah, that's correct. I own Ford. And, uh, look, this uh, COVID, the benefit, and there aren't many benefits of it at all, shut down production for the auto companies globally. So what happened was when people decided hey, I don't want to take mass, mass transportation. I'm going to go out and buy a car with interest rates being so low as well. There's nothing to buy. So now that cars are coming back, the auto companies don't have to offer the incentives they were offering. So you're seeing a real pickup in car sales. As I mentioned before in the show, why I bought Ford was because the F-150 had its best month ever. You're seeing SUVs having their best months ever. And those are all the highest margin cars out there. So I think the autos continue to go, and Kramer's right, similar to housing, that's typically how you measure the health of the economy, particularly a consumer economy, and both are working well right now. Yeah, I do. It's interesting. You know, look, Morgan Stanley is also, Adam Jonas, well-known auto analyst there, five reasons why General Motors stock um, is charged up. You know, Joe, I, I wonder if, if you're trying to get a read-through to overall strength in the economy, if... Housing and autos are, are really a, a, a good tell. Or 
if they're just more a play on how people are living their lives during COVID and will uh, on the other side of COVID. If people are looking to leave cities, sure, they're buying houses. If people don't want to get in other people's automobiles or don't want to ride public transportation, they're buying vehicles. Is that really an overall sign that the economy is just rip roaring? No, it's not. It's that uh, those that are at the upper end of the economic K recovery have the ability to go out and to spend on housing and to spend on autos. And for those, this is the early innings. Jim Cramer is completely right, and so is Stephen Weiss. Uh, and I will be mining for names within the auto industry that I would want to own. Like what? But Jim mentioned PPG. PPG is at all-time highs right now. That's a name that you could take a look at. Auto, O'Reilly Automotive auto is a... You're going uh, for yes, the paint. Auto paint. O'Reilly Auto... O'Reilly Automotive, another name you could own. I know Jim mentioned this morning Lithia Motors. That's another one. Uh, they, they sell, they service, they finance. And then lastly, I'm going to introduce a new name. There's a company called Sensata Technologies. The ticker symbol is ST. It's a small cap company. It's got a mid-20s PE. And what they do, Scott, is they deliver the compressors, the components, all the needed electronic parts for these electronic vehicles. That's a name that I would take a look at also. When are you going to do, I mean, you throw out a lot of names. O'Reilly, you like O'Reilly, you, OP, you like PPG, you, you like Sensata, you own Lithia, but you own none of the four. I think last week we had the conversation about, I think we had an upgrade on Magna, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And, and at that time I looked at PPG, um, I was going to shuffle the portfolio, step in and, and buy PPG. I did not. After this morning's Auto Nation report, which was very compelling for me, listening to Jim Cramer, I'm doing a lot more research on it. And I do think there's some early inning equivalency to what housing is experienced. Mm -hmm. So I'll do further research okay. uh, and see what screen's high and come up with a name for you. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of Lithia, by the way, bottom of your screen, and Jim Cramer, the CEO is going to be with Jim tonight on Mad Money. Don't miss that. Six o'clock Eastern time. It's an exclusive interview. So you don't want to miss that. Up next, we'll find out about Weiss's new buy. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The half is back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Welcome back. Uh, I mentioned we were making some moves on our show today in the investment committee. Steve Weiss, you just got stopped out of Peloton, I'm told. I did. So Peloton, I've, I've been in and out of it, but I've mostly been in it over the last number of months. And uh, I had a 130 on it, which I typically don't do with core positions. But the company's got over a $30 billion market cap. And while the future is extremely bright, I looked, I just, I always call up as part of my diligence to see what the wait time is and the wait time for the new bike is up to 12 weeks. So the fundamentals are still great, but 
I've got too many positions. I've got too much beta in the portfolio. So it's not a commentary in the company, but I just thought that it was prudent to take profits. Plus, you also have another price increase today, and the stock is immune to price increases at this point. It's yeah. not trading up at all. Uh, the, so, so shares are so down about, what, three and two-thirds percent. The target was increased today. By the way, it was a new street high. Thanks for calling it out. 160. Uh, reiterate overweight over at KeyBank. And if you want to have a conversation then about some of these other high-flying, high-growth names, right, Pinterest got two upgrades today at Goldman to a buy and Bank of America to a buy. It also raises the ante, if you will, going into what is a big week next week. Joe mentioned the mega cap tech. All right. Well, you've got these other real growthy tech names that are also reporting. And I wonder how the stakes are going to be raised now, especially after what Fastly delivered a couple of weeks ago. Really disappointed and got absolutely hammered. Etsy and Twilio. Joe, Twilio is a name you, you know well. Etsy, Twilio and Pinterest. Fastly's next week. They pre-announce, so you get the story there. ServiceNow, Spotify, Shopify, Teladoc, all of those names report next week. Can you say high bar, Joe? Very high bar. And if you think back to July, Scott, Netflix started off the uh, hyper-growth equity names with what was a disappointing quarter. It was pressing towards 600, disappointed, fell back below 500. But guess what came in and saved it? All the names that you just mentioned, plus the fangs. Are they going to be able to do that next week? I can't tell you how incredibly important that's going to be in terms of where the direction of the overall market is going to be. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I thought that was good insight early on. Carrie, uh, you know, you own Facebook. I know Weiss owns Facebook. But after Snap, what, after what Snap delivered, if you like Facebook, how can you not like Snap? I like it great. I just wish we owned it. Uh, we That's own my point. Twilio, well, which how, you mentioned. Yeah. Is it time now to buy Snap, well, right? For all of the reasons that you would want to own a Facebook, maybe Snap is in the nascent stages of giving you a Facebook-like advantage in your, in your portfolio, right? They have a unique audience that's mm -hmm. highly engaged. It's yeah. a way for advertisers to reach young people in ways they would otherwise have no way of doing. Maybe it's an early FB. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fantastic company. Augmented reality is what they're selling, and advertisers love it. And in, in an environment where people are looking at their phones and their screens all the time, uh, you know, it, it, it obviously has hit a home run. Um, we have to do the work and decide at what price we buy it. That's what we did with uh, Twilio. That's what we've done with many of the growth stocks we own. Uh, the smaller cap names, it's more important because they've had this phenomenal run. And if there's a price where, you know, we come to it and we see that Snap, we're not going to buy it today, but if it, it pulls back and we say, you know, we'll buy it 20% below this or 15%, you never know when that might happen. Uh, it's the way that we bought Twilio. It just hit it an ear pocket. It was down 33%. And when we bought it in January and again in March, it's turned out to be, a, you know, incredible stock yeah. as as has this and Peloton and Zoom and Slack and, you know, they, they have their turns. But you have to pick the price that you're comfortable with rather than chasing them all the time. You yeah. just have to be disciplined. I hear you. I mean, unless you think it's, you know, um, some kind of inflection point 
right, for, for a snap where the shares can go meaningfully higher. Now, they've already had a great year, right? They're up 126% year-to-date, 33% of that is coming today. I'm not suggesting that, look, Facebook's got more than a billion users, obviously. We're talking about 200 and some odd million for, for Snap. I'm not suggesting a company the scale of a Facebook. <laughs> I'm a simply <laughs> talking about a, a real sort of uh, intriguing way to be able to reach people, and thus you get a different valuation for Snap, or at least an, um, the kind of gains that you've That's witnessed true. in a Facebook, you can start to realize on a more long-term basis in a snap. All right, coming up, our experts are ready for Ask Halftime. You can send your questions by video. We'll play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're answering your questions now. First up, a video question for Rich. This is Scott Holbein from Grass Valley, California. My question is, with potential tech regulations, what are the impacts potentially to Costco or grocery stores that sell their own products? Rich Saperstein? Uh, Scott, good question. Uh, there's really no impact on the uh, online grocers, and we really like Costco. 4% uh, free cash flow yield, growing aggressively, exceptionally well managed, and we would view them as Amazon proof. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Joe, to you from Rad in Dallas. Uh, hi, Joe. Uh, what's the reason to sell ICE? Isn't a higher volume a friend to ICE uh, higher earnings? I had to make a decision. I had too much trading revenue exposure through Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and the NASDAQ. You know that I utilize quality and momentum as my two factors for investing philosophy. I measured NASDAQ versus ICE. ICE is losing mega uh, momentum by every metric, five-day, month-to-date, year-to-date versus NASDAQ. I held on to NASDAQ. Great earnings today for NASDAQ, and that actually worked out well. All right, good stuff. Steve Weiss to you, Bruce Washington, Bruce in Washington. Uh, Akamai, been trading sideways for months now. It's getting whacked now. Is it uh, still a buy and a good holding for a long-term investor? Well, two things. I share your frustration. However, the stock's still up 26% year-to-date, and I wouldn't say it's getting whacked. It traded down a little bit because they're in the same business, CDN is fastly, except this is a far superior company making money, making good money, whereas Fastly is losing money. So the money that you had in Fastly should go into Akamai. They report next week. I think it'll be a pretty good quarter. Okay. Thank you for that. Finally, Carrie, to you. Uh, from Jerry in Massachusetts, you own Thermo Fisher. Jerry wants to know if it's a long-term hold or a sell right now. Oh, Jerry, Thermo just reported a fantastic quarter. They blew past the estimates. COVID testing was $2 billion in revenue, and it's profitable. Uh, we think that it's a long-term buy. I think all those estimates are going to have to go up for next year and the year after, so we'd stay with it. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for the questions, too. Crude oil prices are slipping. How the futures players are, how the futures traders are playing that. We'll do that next. Are you a veteran? Do you have a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? Email us a video with your name and rank. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. You can be featured on our special show on Veterans Day. Thank you for your service.
It's time now for the Futures Outlook. Crude oil getting hit hard today after U.S. inventory builds sparked oversupply fears yet again. For more on today's move, we're joined by KKM Financial's Jeff Kilberg, who is bullish. <laughs> well, Judge, we definitely saw selling pressure intensify. Crude oil is down over 4% due to the fact a lot of soft longs or cautious longs got flushed out of the market when that crude oil inventory data came out. We were looking for a draw, actually, Scott, and we ended up getting a build of 540,000 barrels. So to my point of being an opportunity here, I want to be a buyer here. I think crude oil has been tethered to $40, and here we are. We just cracked $40. So I want to be a buyer at $40 looking for a move back up in this range-bound trade to $42. However, I'm being mindful. I'm using the stops. I'm going to be stopped out at $39, just a dollar lower. So I'm risking $1,000 to make $2,000 on this range opportunity, Scott. All right. Uh, comment from Joe Terranova. Joe, Kilberg says it's coiled. You know it's been soiled. Why is it going to break out of that <laughs> range, Joe? Uh, it may break out of the range, but the opportunity in energy equities doesn't exist. I own none of them. It is the most negatively impacted by a blue wave. Wow. All right. Jeff Kilberg, we'll talk I to you soon. Thank you. you Final trades coming up next. It's final trade time. Carrie, you are up first. So we like United Healthcare UNH. It's the largest insurer, healthcare insurer, and it's proven to be flexible in all environments. If the economy is affected by the changes in the administration, they'll be able to adapt. They have one and a half percent yield also. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for that. Rich Saperstein. Uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, it's the ultimate marriage between defense and technology in the areas of uh, missiles, hypersonics, space, next-gen satellites. Company has a 5.5% free cash flow, pays you 2.75%. And best of all, the backlog is 240% of revenues. Okay, good stuff. Thanks to you as well. All right, Steve Weiss. Teradyne, blowout quarter, so I'm recommending Keysight, K-E-Y-S, overlapping businesses. They support a great quarter also. Buy high, sell higher. So you're up. There you go, Agco. <laughs> Agricultural, corn, wheat, cotton, all near multi-year highs. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching as well. That does it for us. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.